It's the Daily Talk Show, episode 766. And we've got Timbo Reid from the Small Business Big Marketing Show. Welcome. Fresh Thanks, from, boys. Fresh from Noosa. Noosa. How's it going? Um, how's it going? Uh, mate, I'm a bit jealous. You've, I mean, you've been up there in isolation uh, yes. for since it's happened. I mean, you live there. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So I guess that's not yeah, isolation. I'm isolated in Noosa. It's good, mate. It's incredible. Like I was just saying, like we've got video of Hastings Street that's it's actually empty. No people, no cars. Yeah. I mean, when was the last time you would have got that? Probably oh. like never. Yeah, and then if you're a local that surfs, you just – that is the dream. Oh, yeah. <laughs> that is the dream. Um, Timbo – you're one of the OG podcasters. I reckon you're one of the very first podcasts that I ever listened to. Wow. Um, I remember an episode, specifically you are talking to a guy who owns a tall ship company. Yeah, it was yeah. all about outsourcing. I think it was around the day of uh, four-hour work week when I sort of got into that. Josh got into mm-hmm. that. We had no yeah. business really getting yeah. into that. We are probably like 19. <laughs> yeah. There's nothing to sell. Yeah. But I still remember that like experience of the podcast before. And then, I mean, Josh has been listening mm-hmm. to podcasts for 15 years yeah well i feel yeah small business big marketing being your podcast it's a it's a very long time you've been doing it for and i feel like there's been iteration you started off with a co-host and then mm-hmm. you've gone on doing it oh, yourself no. is there <laughs> who's going out, important to him out yeah i can guess um, i mean I've, i do have the mixer um no, what what's your perspective of podcasting seeing all the changes do you eye roll with everything that's happening or like what what things are cyclical and what's 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 new you know i just look at podcasting a i think it's an incredible medium i I just it blows my mind when i first came across it 12 years ago my show the small business big marketing show is 11 years old but when i discovered podcasting 12 years ago i was like a as someone who always wanted to have a radio show it was like now i can actually have my own show it'll be a podcast so i could see that and the other thing i could see is a marketing guy who was particularly interested in helping small businesses was that all of a sudden business owners could have their own show and mm. it was going to be very inexpensive to create. And if you create a good quality content, then you're going to create a platform to build your brand, to build your personal brand, to drive traffic to your website or your store or whatever it is. And I'm like, this is incredible. And I've always said, as a small business marketing guy, there's never been a better time to market your business. And one of the reasons I say that is because there are things like podcasting that are so accessible to us back then and mm. even now and i just think wow what a time we live in imagine mm. 20 years ago saying you can have mm. your own show yeah i mean 11 years ago for a, a content marketing approach i mean was that a big thing back then like what you know, that no. term has been pretty beaten now mm. like you need a content marketing approach you need a content strategy yeah <laughs> uh but no no back then it wasn't no it wasn't like we you know we all had to get youtube channel and a podcast and a blog and an ebook and a, you know a social media but no but it was all sort of slowly coming together mm. and it's pretty exciting times. And, and I would say to anyone listening, either who wished they had a business or have a business and were wanting to create a content strategy, and in this case, podcasting, like the boat hasn't left the shore. Mm. You know, so many, there's a real limiting belief now around business. Ah, oh, it's too late to start a podcast. Mm. It's Ship too late sailed. to start it. It's just not true. You know, like Jeff Bezos from Amazon only in recent years talked about Amazon being in day one. Now, this is the, one of the biggest companies in the world, right? Mm. So, And that's incredible to say. I feel like podcasting is like in its second hour mm-hmm. in terms of its growth. And there is so much more. To, we're just, you know, we're at the start of something. So if someone was listening, mm-hmm. then lose any limiting beliefs and have a crack. So do you think that the podcasting has changed at its core or do you think it's the, the same as it was when you started? 
I think fundamentally it's the same. Mm-hmm. I think there is a lot more. I mean, mate, I was just ranking number one in iTunes. Mm. You know, I could stand on my head and not talk, yeah. and I could rank number one on iTunes back in the day. What did it mean then? One like uh, ranking one for, 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 for my business, or what do I business mean? numbers? Like, what was it? Did it? What did it do for you at that point? Because now uh, number one is like stroke my ego. You know, yeah, <laughs> yeah, still doing that. It's, it still uh, happens, it, it, Tommy. It's not. I'm very, I'm very, humble. <laughs> I'm humble. I'm full of humility. Where were we? Well, I was number one. Yeah. <laughs> Isn't that? I mean, that's one thing I always think when Gary V talk, like when you are yelling that you're humble, like it's sometimes <laughs> yeah. some of it's yeah. some of it's cred. Yeah. Yeah. You don't need to yell at. But I mean, so if, uh, you can get to number one in the charts now. You could be a celebrity that starts a podcast in the first week their trailer for their show will be number one I, I, and i don't know if it translates to downloads or what okay. what, did, what did you make sense of it back then back then I, I look at it less now it's much less important to me now and i'll tell you why in a minute but back then look it was you know proof of concept um i was just amazed i mean again like i used to look at itunes prior to having a podcast itunes was this big thing owned by apple mm. that i could never be a part of you know and then all of a sudden i see my my album artwork as number one you know above Companies like Harvard Business Review or Seth Godin or, you know, these guys who, again, like are held in such high esteem. And what it was proving to me was as small business owners, of which I was and still am, we can now punch way above our marketing weight. Okay. Mm -hmm. So, again, limiting belief. Oh, you know, I could never beat those guys. Well, you can. Mm -hmm. Because the challenge is one. It's a creative challenge. Mm -hmm. The challenge is not to get a podcast. We can all get a podcast and to your question, you know, what's changed? A lot more people are getting podcasts and there's a bit of a laugh, you know, who hasn't got a podcast? But the reality is um, we can all get it. The creative challenge is, as you guys would know, is to make it the best in your category. When, when you started, were you – I mean, you've got a solid marketing background, but then you like to pull people in where it's like us. We like to not be the smartest in the room. We get people who are, know a lot more and, it, and then it's, you know – it's us just being curious to learn. Yes. You've since gone on to write books, yeah. boomerang marketing. That's an, that's an boomerang name. effect. Boomerang effect. I mean, and, and where do you see, because now there's a push, cement yourself as an expert. Yeah. And so what's what's your sort of vibe on people with that as their first approach? I need to cement myself as the expert wherever I am. I just think, you know, there's that great saying, don't tell me you're funny, tell me a joke. Right, because a lot of people go, "Fuck!" I say I'm a funny a lot. I don't have many jokes. (laughs) Well, uh, listen, Um, (laughs) because you know the reality is, I mean, there's a lot of experts. Everyone's an expert, you know. Thought Um, leaders, yeah, a lot of thought leaders, opinion leaders, and you know, all this stuff. And I just think, well, show me in your actions. And Mm -hmm. so, for me, and I, you know, one of the things it was interesting. um, Here we go. We'll get honest here you know in back in the day when i started the small business big marketing show i considered myself a marketer and an okay marketer not the best marketer certainly going around but an okay marketer and then uh i had a realization that you know what i am not going i'm going to stop putting myself out there as a great marketer necessarily but as someone who can connect the dots and if that meant bringing in someone into the studio and getting their opinion on an area of marketing I didn't understand, then I was really cool with that. So my mindset in the early days, which was marketing experts, slowly pivoted to the fact that, you know, I'm almost a journalist and journalists mm. are cringe because I haven't done any training as a journalist, but now I'm like the reporter and I'm really cool with mm. that. And I can still offer and I can still offer my marketing advice, but it took the pressure off, you know. Yeah. I'm interested in good quality conversations that are going to move people forward and in my case, grow their business through smart marketing. And if I can impart that myself, awesome. If it requires me to have a guest mm. who's going to do it a whole lot better, 
Awesome. Right on the what is it? Right on the shoulders of giants. Mm. Did you have to learn to step back? Because I can imagine, yep. especially <laughs> when you are taking on something that you do know a bit about, you sort of hear like I was, was listening to a business podcast the other day, and it turns into the interviewer just sort of uh, deconstructing the person's business and, and giving advice rather than an <laughs> interview. Was that something that you had to learn to come to it with the posture of interviewing? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I've received the odd bit of flack over the years. Um, so there's two paths to that, Josh. One is uh, I have learned that my listeners actually do like to hear what I have to say. Mm-hmm. I did my 500th episode a few weeks ago and it was just me answering questions for about an hour and a half and people really appreciate it because I've, try- I've actually made an a- a- actively tried to step back and just let my guests do the talking. But I feel like, you know, what if I've got something to say and I feel like it's going to add value to the listener and their business, then I will say it. So I do that. Um, the other part is I actually – I'm really interested in, in the art of interviewing. Mm-hmm. It's just something that I love to just practice and get better at. And so I, there are people in the media that I watch both here and overseas. And then one day, one of my favourite interviewers of recent years has been Richard Stubbs when he was on the ABC, on ABC Radio in Melbourne. But he's an excellent conversationalist. He was funny. He had heart. Uh, he listened um, he would kick back if need be. So I got Stubbsy into the studio and asked him, I said, this is going to be a, an episode of the Small Business Big Marketing Show about interviewing for all those business owners who want to create content. That's great. But I want you to treat this as like a coaching session with me mm-hmm. and every time I muck up, op- openly just tell everyone, you know. So, he, you know, he, he really got stuck into me, which was awesome. You know, I've got to listen more. Um, one of the best things, best bits of advice he was, was lead with your best. Always lead with your best. What does that mean? Your best. Whatever it is you've got to say in an episode lead, uh, that you think is the, your best piece of content, your mm-hmm. best piece of advice, your best guest, if, you, if it's like you've got three guests in, a, in, a, in one show, always lead with your best because people aren't going to hang around. It's interesting because like there's, there's the other thought around listening because I feel like I've fallen into the trap of being a guest on a show and being like there's a certain thing I want to say and almost not listening to the question or try you, you hear it in politicians, right? It's like, they, it doesn't matter what the question is. They're going to fucking say the bit that they, yeah. they want to say. Is there a way of doing that to have your key messages, but also simultaneously be listening? As a guest? Yeah. I think um, if you go into an interview with a whole bunch of key messages, then that's what's going to be front of mind. And you're just going to be mm. looking for the openings to mm-hmm. see when can I get that first one out, you know? Uh, I, I think the better thing to do is let the interview take its course as a guest uh, in the hope that your interviewer has uh-huh. done their homework. And so the Stubbsy stuff, the stuff on that's more for hosts, was he saying? Yeah, so, yeah, yeah. For me it was – yeah, absolutely. And so yeah. it's it's because we do a terrible job at sort of explaining <laughs> who our guests are and we sort mm. of do that in a, in a way which is like if you're at a party, I fucking hate – like what do you do doing those yeah, sort of yeah. classic mm. things? I'd much prefer to be like, let's just get to know, let's have a conversation and then if, you know, you can Google someone, you can find yeah. out more, you mm. can ask your mate. Yeah. And so that specific comment, yeah. what, what, does that, what does that translate to as a, as a host? Uh, what comment about uh, the, So around the leading, um, with, your best leading with the best content. Yeah, so like, like? Um, if I've got a guest, uh, like I had a guest in this morning on my show and I knew that he owned 19 businesses, uh, 13 businesses before he left uni. Mm-hmm. Now, I could have started somewhere else 
but I went straight to that because that's really interesting. Mm-hmm. Like that, how 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 did you get one property, much less thirteen, after studying four years of uni? Like how and why? Go, and like let's just get that out of the way. That that gets that's really interesting. Mm-hmm. I'm expecting a pretty good answer from him because it's not just going to happen unless he was built born with a silver spoon, which I knew he wasn't. Uh, and so then I'm in. The listeners are in. Because I'm just representing the listener, like mm-hmm. you guys are just representing the listener, you know, uh, or you should be, yeah. and thinking, well, what are they going to be When asking, we get asking? one, we'll let you know. Well, yeah, <laughs> and, and, and celebra- celebrate that. Yeah. Yeah. We've got two. <laughs> no, this is why they're here, just so yeah, exactly. we can- yeah, yeah. Pre- oh, We're not recording. We- <laughs> <laughs> um, I remember looking at your site as an you know example of- um, something I wanted to build back in the day. I don't know what it was for, but I, you know, mm. the amount of sites I've built that haven't done nothing. You but I fl- looked. How much did you spend on that flash site? Oh, 10 grand. <laughs> Great. Yeah. That was back in the day. Yeah. That Your was stripping business. That was, that? I had a stripping business back in the day. Yeah. I had a PT business, nice. coaching, you know, I've had it all. Um, <laughs> but really had nothing. <laughs> had it all, but had nothing. Yeah. I looked yeah. to your website, side note. Uh, Josh's friend built your site back in the day. Back in the yeah. day, yeah, not yeah. the current one, not the yeah, current the, one, the first one. I yeah. always, I was always wondering, looking at your content and listening to your uh, content, hmm. your podcast, thinking, what's your business model, mm. and how's he making money? Because if he's making money, I want to be doing what he's yeah. doing. Yeah, and so has that been something that's evolved for Absolutely. you? Yeah, yeah. And and where did it start, and and what has been the sort of pivotal shifts yeah. or directions? So. so uh, when I started podcasting, I had a marketing consultancy. It was just me. It was called The Ideas Guy, and I was the guy who would come in and generate ideas to help you grow your business through attracting more of the right people more often. And I was just one-on-one. It was just me. I didn't have a lot of clients because I just was managing. It was sort of half lifestyle business, half kind of, you know, I might be able to grow this. Um, what does a lifestyle business mean to you? means I can do what I want when I want as opposed to be because I'd worked in like big agencies for mm-hmm. forever. Is and that freelance? Do you think like can you have a lifestyle business that's uh, not freelance? As long as it's not, as long as you're not a prisoner to it. As long as it's not, you know, like you have to be there all the time. I mean, I kind of went into my own business in order for me to call the shots, uh-huh. as opposed to have someone, you know, like working in big agency land. It was like, mm-hmm. you know, I'm going to sneak out at three. I wonder who's watching. I don't mm-hmm. want anyone watching anymore. Yeah, you yeah. know, like I'll do what I want when I want. I'll get the job done. If I can get the job done by 11, awesome. I'll go down the beach, mm-hmm. you know. And so you were doing that, sorry. So you yeah. were, so that was an, that was a, a single person business, the ideas yeah. guy? Yeah, yeah, single yeah. person. So then yeah. I started the podcast and I started the podcast because I was given the opportunity to start a podcast. A great studio with great support. And I was like, I, I wasn't going to say no to that, right? So then uh, that started and it started to get traction. It, for some reason, we I had a co-host back in the, to, at the, in the day, Luke, and Luke and I got along really well. He was everything that I wasn't. He loved getting under the hood and seeing how everything worked. And I'm like, I'm just top line, like wanting to understand people's stories and journeys. So we would clash on air and it made for interesting listening. We'd clash off air and we'd have these uh, – fights is a big word, but we'd have these debates. And I just thought that was really good. So we got traction. We got traction. I saw the rankings on iTunes. We'd get listener reviews. People were emailing us. And over time, over the course of probably 12 to 18 months, it wasn't like like so many podcasts stop mm-hmm. after six episodes. Like you've got to push through, guys. Um, I then started to – I got asked to speak at the odd event, which I hadn't done previously. I'd done a bit of speaking when I was in advertising, but not much. So then that evolved. Um, and all of a sudden – so your question really, Tommy, is like how do I, how do I monetize my mm. show and how have I over the 11 years, right? Yeah, so, that, so, and, and even just – Understanding your business 
Yeah, well, this is the business model has evolved. So, you know, my big break outside of podcasting, we started to get sponsors. I went to, I'd go to conferences and expos and identify businesses that were trying to attract small business owners whose presence and brand that I liked, mm. and I would approach them. Got some sponsors signed up, so that was starting to pay its way. Did you have a sense of what success looked like no. at that time? Okay, no, not then. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then. I got a phone call one day. I suppose it was my big break because monetizing a podcast or content isn't necessarily like some people go, oh, it's just a, it's a traffic uh, channel to sell your own stuff, mm-hmm. which it could be, your courses or your products, whatever you want to do. For me, it was about getting a third-party sponsor because at the time I had nothing to sell outside of my, coach, my, my marketing coaching services. And then I got a phone call one day from a woman who said, and I was picking up my kids outside school and it was, man, there's traffic going everywhere. I took this call. She said, you don't know me. Right? I've got a client who knows you. And she spoke like that. And uh, Was it Dave Hughes? It was, it was Dave Hughes. Yeah, yeah. Dressed as Mrs. Doubtfire. <laughs> It's, it's not pretty because usually by himself it's not pretty. Yeah, put <laughs> it's it anyway, we digress. She goes, you know, I've got a client who knows you um, and they listen to your podcast and they want to know whether you do uh, an eight-city an eight city roadshow. And I'm like, I don't know what a roadshow is. She was from a speaker's bureau. I don't know what a speaker's bureau is. Long story short, this client, uh, they flew me up to Sydney. It was a big insurance company. Flew me up to Sydney to meet me and um, we got along very well. Um, they booked me for this eight city roadshow where I got uh, had to give an hour's keynote uh, in front of the audience. I've never done that before. Um, it went really well, and I got signed by this speakers bureau as a, as a speaker. And I didn't I didn't even know that stuff existed. So then that part of my business model <laughs> established itself and really took off. Mm. So then I had good sponsorship in my podcast. Every now and then I'd create a product. Um, I'd do workshops, and so. That there has been a whole, and then I wrote my book, The Boomerang Effect, and there's been a whole lot of different ways I've monetized this, and it's all, I wouldn't say by accident, but it's it's actually organically involved mm. uh, evolved. It feels like um, the partnership thing is hard. Like Tommy and I had epic blow-ups like yeah, we were talking yeah. about it the other Sounds day. Like you like, and Luke, to yeah, be honest. Yeah. <laughs> well, yeah, we had yeah the, the the best types of blow-ups, and I think that doing a podcast is an extra level like there's having a business partnership and then there's having a podcast where it's like you are um, representing different ideas on air and then people have something to say about what you're saying and all of that sort of stuff. Have you gotten any clarity looking back on partnerships around what partnerships work yeah, totally. and what don't? Yeah, big time. So listen up, boys. <laughs> <laughs> We're ready. Uh, Luke and I, I think we're successful because what I said, he's everything that I wasn't. And I think that makes it, that's interesting because I don't like, I, I personally don't like, and again, I'm here to represent the listener. Uh, I don't like people agreeing mm-hmm. all the time. You just agree. Don't agree. <laughs> yeah, if you don't so, like so, it, so, say so, no. So, so. Yeah. You're fucking wrong. <laughs> <laughs> that's interesting. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Why am I wrong? No, but, well, I just think that it was over simplistic. You said simplistic. yes and then you said no. <laughs> no. I was being nice. Right. No, you're, you're okay. Off the money. <laughs> yeah. You can't even look me in the eye when you answer. <laughs> I'm trying to switch. You know. I'll fucking look you in the eye. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> So, so there is there is that part of it, um, and just um, Luke and I, and we would be honest, you know. Um, sometimes on air, because people couldn't see, and we were on video, but mm-hmm. you know, without my show, we weren't we weren't on air mm-hmm. uh, and video. And so, like sometimes I just go, like I'd just be totally disappointed. I just my shoulders <laughs> were just like because I, I'd be asking the, my our guest, right? Oh, so where'd the idea for the business come from? Like, how did you get that to market? And the guest is about to answer, and Luke would come in and go, "Yeah, yeah," and and 
and, and, and how much did you spend on AdWords in that first week? And I'm like, you're kidding me, mate. Like, and I'd be, I'd be holding my fist back at Luke, you know, and then he'd be laughing and I'd be like, it's not funny. <laughs> and then we'd have that discussion off air. So, yeah. again, great hosts, co-hosts, I think good communication mm-hmm. um, and be honest and say, look, nothing's personal here. We're just here to create the best content. And I go back to what I said earlier. It is a creative challenge. If you're going to start a podcast, to, to make it successful is a creative mm. challenge. And, and so you need friction or you need tension within a within Hamish a, and Andy yeah. have friction, right? Mm-hmm. Laurel and Hardy have friction. The mm-hmm. two Ronnies have friction. You know, Hamish and Andy, whilst they look as though they get along and they're great, my best of mates, mm-hmm. Hamish is the clown and Andy is the one sweeping up afterwards and shaking his head. And whether it's manufactured or real, mm-hmm. it doesn't matter. They do it beautifully. And it's just interesting to have two different types of people to carry it. I guess the one thing you can't avoid, though, in that is the visceral response to the two different sides. Mm. So when you're in the middle of that with Luke, it's like, sure, on the other side, it's like taken well and people really respond to it or resonate with it because they're like, oh, yeah, I'm on that side or that side. Mm-hmm. But there is a feeling there. It's yeah, like it doesn't feel when good. Josh is pushing back, even if he knows it's content, it's still fucking annoying <laughs> for <laughs> you <laughs> or vice versa. Well, if yeah. I'm doing something, you know, it's like... It is real. Well, but I guess there's a there's a point. Like you obviously made the decision where you're like, oh, this is better. Me being able to do do the thing on your own. What's the what's the right amount of friction then? Because obviously there is a By point. Myself. Yeah, yeah. Like oh, like being able to like decide to be like, I'm going to do this shit. Like, oh, there wasn't a, Luke didn't <laughs> Lukey after eighty episodes. I couldn't see the future. Uh-huh. Which you know we laugh about now, but uh, and he's gone on to do good behind things, his back know. or with him, <laughs> <laughs> only behind his back. You know. But um, uh, you know he made that decision, so mm-hmm. it was a pretty clear cut one. Yeah, um, I I would still love a co-host. Uh-huh. You know, I'm I'm happy, and I've you know for four hundred plus episodes on past Luke finishing, um, I'm very happy with where my podcast is at, but. There is something special about having mm. a dynamic and someone to bounce off and argue with and, you know, you're not carrying the can 100%. Although yeah. you did say, Josh, that you do 95% of the work <laughs> well, on, yeah, that that was off on the daily talk well, show. But I do wonder about that that idea with the, um, the, the, the co-host type of thing. So that frick, using the example of asking about the ad words or whatever, and it's a, it's a good moment. But obviously for you, it's like it, it fucked the flow of where well, you're wanting to go with it. So in the moment, I don't pull Lukey up and go, mm-hmm. hang on, Lukey. I've just asked, like he knows that he's pissed mm-hmm. me off. Mm-hmm. And in doing so, my mood will slightly change, which again, uh-huh. I think makes for interesting mm-hmm. listening, mm-hmm. you know. But it's still annoying. That's cool. <laughs> you know, we'll sort it out afterwards. Yeah, and, yeah. You know. and so then what is it, if you were looking for a co-host mm-hmm. now, what are some of the things that you're looking at? Uh, that's a pretty interesting question because I haven't, as much as I'd like one, I don't think there's one around the corner. Uh, so I haven't given a lot of consideration, but again, it would be someone, someone who's everything I'm not. So whatever I am, I want the opposite of that. So, you know, Mm -hmm. someone who's incredibly good looking, um, (laughs) you know, all that stuff, but I just think, uh, it's not going to happen anytime soon. So Mm -hmm. I just let that go. But every now and then I do pull in, I've had my daughter, my daughter, Stephanie on two shows, uh, because I just thought she'd add so much to the discussion with mm. a, with a, a business owner that I knew she had an interest in, and it'd be good to get that perspective. The girls from Kick Keep It Clean, oh uh, yeah, yeah, right, Keep it Stephanie and um, yeah. Laura. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, they're doing some pretty interesting things with a market of young girls, and I thought, you know, and I get a little bit pissed off at these, and they're very good those girls. So don't get me wrong, but they're some, they're pretty big on social media, mm. and I'm like, my question was, you know, uh, 
are they making young feels good about themselves or bad about themselves? And it's like coming from a 53-year-old guy, yeah. that sounds a bit creepy. But if I brought my daughter in, yeah. she can ask those questions then, and it worked. You know, Was that up front? Was that good content first? Is that you led with the, that question? Uh, no, I didn't because I felt as though I needed to establish rapport. Yeah. 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 <laughs> <laughs> now I've got it. Got yeah, it. yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, small business versus startups. It seems like uh, nowadays everyone wants to be a founder and a startup yeah. rather than a small business owner. What's been your perspective of that shift? And also, how much do you spend in AdWords on the first week? <laughs> <laughs> Great question, Tommy. Yeah, AdWords. Uh, love AdWords. Uh, I, um, look, it is, I go back to fundamentals, mm-hmm. you know, small business owner, startup, entrepreneur, you know, it's just someone having a crack. It's someone identifying a problem and meeting it with a need and filling it with a need and just creating a business from it. Um, but is there a, a, a solution, I should say? Butcher on a high street yeah. opening up next week. Yeah. They're not going to be calling themselves a startup. Uh, no, although I interviewed Sam Canning, who is a butcher. Canning's and butcher? Is, yeah. Yeah. Oh, oh, great, good. great mate. Amazing, like amazing good business. Broth. Good um, broth as well. You like the broth? Yeah, they do a good the broth. The bone broth, the chicken yeah, broth. Yeah, they or? do. They do a broth that I when I was doing keto, I think that I had right. a bit of that. It was good. Yeah. And how I, did you use the broth? Well, just drank it. Right. Yeah. Okay. Uh, Cold, <laughs> warm, uh, hot, uh, extra. <laughs> we actually <laughs> love food right. chat. You've, yeah. you've opened yeah. up a can of worms. Good on you, Josh. They do good organic yeah. sausages yeah. as well. Yeah. He's yeah. testing it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but I mean, so ca- cannings are a n- <laughs> I don't know whether he would have used the word startup, but he certainly approached that business in a way that probably most butchers don't. I mean, Sam, yeah. big on interior design, big on customer service, you know, using words like customer experience, mm. building a database, mm. you know, he's, he's doing a lot of funky stuff. That, cashless. You, know, you don't use cash Cashless. There. Yeah, yeah. Really? Yeah. Because I guess it's like a hygiene thing, but I thought that was- But they're inter- still using sawdust out the back. No, well, you think about, <laughs> yeah, when that's you think about that's butchers cool. or whatever, you'd like, I don't know, you just imagine, like, I thought that was an interesting thing. Yeah, yeah. Do you remember Sawdust? No. Sorry, no, I digress. I uh, Bay yeah. Street, Brighton. Did you ever go there? Yeah. I know you yeah. remember the butcher in Bay Street, yeah, Brighton yeah. that had sawdust all so over that. the floor? Well, that was pretty common. Most that was all, real all common. What butchers do? Absorbs the blood, mate. Yeah. Full on. <laughs> That's what I'm I don't want to yes. see blood with my meat. No. Yeah. <laughs> Hello to all, your vegeta- all the vegetarians. You know, last night, I digress. I cooked for my kids. Uh, came, I'm down from Queensland and kids are in Melbourne. And um, I had to cook for a seafood hater, a vegetarian, and a vegan. All three different people. Eggplant dish? I hate eggplant. What do you hate? <laughs> do you know why? It's the um, it's too the, fleshy. That's no, the bitter water. You need to be getting the, the water out of it. So you need oh. to add salt and then it extracts all wow. of the, the Don't water. agree with him. <laughs> that's, that's yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. It's not interesting. <laughs> Wash it down with some broth. <laughs> yeah. That broth um, is great. Small business. At yeah. what point does it become a medium-sized business? Oh, I don't know. Does it, does it matter? Well, I mean, on some forms I've seen like up to 100 employees is still yeah, a is small some, business. It's like, yeah. holy shit, I'm micro. There is some weird definition of small business the government have, which is a lot of employees in a high mm-hmm. turnover. So, Well, uh, the job keeper was like, um, if you have revenue under a billion dollars or something, <laughs> like, right. that's, you're in that great. category. It's yeah. like, yeah. But what, is, what is interesting? Yeah. And I was if we mar- don't include the daily talk show revenue, I think we yes. fit under that. Exactly. <laughs> I was the marketing manager at Flight Centre for a period of time and what what was interesting is that they um, subscribe to the idea that anything over 30 becomes unmanageable. And this is a um, an indigenous thinking. Indigenous tribes would do this. Oh, Whereas if over 30 people, you, um, you can't feed and water them and protect them. So you have to split. I might have that number wrong. I want to say it might be, I don't know, it doesn't matter, but there is a certain number where mm. if you keep growing, it becomes unmanageable. 
people will die or suffer. So you split it. So Flight Center was very good at adhering to that and maintaining a small business mentality, which was that any anywhere in Flight Center, there were tribes of 30 people and they were 30 and you'd have like four or five tribes which made a country and then six or seven tribes that made a nation. So it was sort of, if you can imagine, it's almost pyramid-like and it just meant that the teams were small, everyone could get looked after and be heard and attended to and it kept you hungry. Mm. Travel agents. Is there is there a space for travel agents in 2020? Well, I think there is. You know, once all this COVID stuff is over, um, you know, you're asking a 53-year-old bloke who still likes to talk to people and eyeball people. And, mm. you know, like I made a phone call on the way here. Oh, really? Unusual. Yeah. You know, most, <laughs> like, you don't see a lot of people, really young people on the phone there. Mason, days. do you know what that is? <laughs> a phone call? Yeah, that's right. Now, he actually, uh, Mason said the other day, he made a phone call. He said, this is so much better than email. Yeah, because we, <laughs> we've pushed him into Well, it. he doesn't do email. Like, right. he pushes yeah, back I don't email. like email. I, we set the KPI of 30 emails a day. He said, what do you want me to send? I'm like, I don't fucking get Just send an email because he wasn't doing <laughs> it. But, um, and I, so, I just think there are there's opportunities for businesses to continue to provide. I, I think as we become, look what COVID's done. We're back into communities, you know, we, we like that human interaction. And whilst I think it's amazing what you can do online without humans and where AI is taking it. So I just think that, you know, the idea of eyeballing someone is pretty special. You, you would agree mm. an interview face-to-face is better mm. than one over Zoom or over the phone. It just You get a better vibe, a better interaction, a better energy. And, yeah, I do think, you know, like travel agents, particularly bigger purchases, you know, mm-hmm. I think you, you do want someone to be looking after that. I guess like it comes down to trust, and I think like there's been a few of those um, travel agents that have gone under or like it almost feels my perspective. I mean, I'm nearly 30, so I'm still pretty young. Like the perspective is I'd prefer to go direct to an airline because then there's one less potential entity to shit the bed yes. for me to lose the money. On on the whole business thing and, and where we're going to sort of sit at the end of COVID, do you think we're going to see a huge amount of small businesses go under based on COVID or do you think that we're going to see it more at the bigger end? I think a bit of both. Mm-hmm. I mean, I'm surprised at how many I've just, because I live in a small town in Queensland, you sort of don't get a sense of what's really going on. And having come to Melbourne, it's amazing. How I'm seeing a lot of Felice signs, you know, mm-hmm. Bay Street, Brighton, yeah. you know, stuff that's just clearly closed down because of COVID, uh, which is really sad. And I think, you know, yeah, businesses will. Too many businesses live hand to mouth. Mm-hmm. I don't know what really the solution is to that outside of get some money in the bank and like, don't, you know, if you can't survive a day without income, then gee, you know, have you made the right business? And I look at some businesses, in fact, my son, Jack, uh, is sort of math science guy, but when he did year 12, about five years ago, he did business management as his fifth subject. And so all of a sudden he's in the car with me and we're having business discussions up until when we hadn't done that. And we drive past cafes or particular types of businesses. He's like, dad, how does that business make money? And I'm like, <laughs> it's our favorite thing to do. We oh, walk we down do the street and be like, all right, their lease, they're, they're paying at least 28 oh, grand for the lease. Yeah. And then their baristas on fucking 50 oh, K. Like it, I don't understand. And, and it's like, so Mike, and I never really, I said, look, i Maybe they're happy to take a, a minimum wage. Maybe it's been a lifestyle, lifestyle decision, which is, you know, I'm going to run my own cafe, make coffee, and then go home. It doesn't work like that. Mm-hmm. Uh, maybe they have big corporate contracts that they're providing that we don't get to see from the retail perspective. So, But it is amazing. I just look at some businesses and just go, oh, well, good luck to you. Mm. Tire kickers, 
uh, or just people who are full of shit. Like I feel like, especially in the the podcasting space, there's a lot of people saying the gunners, I'm going to do this, I'm oh, going to yeah. do that. Have you, having uh, stayed with something for a long time, have you got a good filter of when people are serious about the change that they're talking about versus the you know the gunner attitude? I, I, I just I just listen out for gunner, and mm-hmm. if if that enters the conversation, then I I because I'm really interested in action. Mm-hmm. I, you know, a because I know that when I take action, we move things forward. Action creates reaction, um, and I know that I ha- I can be prone to procrastination, and it really shits me. So I'm really interested in helping others not be like that and moving forward. So if someone says oh, I'm going to do this, I'm going, oh cool. Oh, how are you going to do it? Or when are you going to do it? Mm. Or what's stopping you from doing it now? Or what are you scared of? I just think it's a really in- interesting conversation because. Again, there's a whole lot of reasons we don't do things. It could be fear, it could be ego, it could be lack of money, lack of time. But whatever it is, let's identify it and move on. In mm. fact, you know, I constantly reinforce that in my podcast, which is, you know, guys, love your listening. Like, please never stop listening. But gee, I'd love you to take some action. So I actually created a segment in my podcast called, and the segment's called The Monster Prize Draw, which is a pretty shit name. But <laughs> the premise of it is send me an email tell me one idea you've picked up from my listening to the small business big marketing show and what impact it's had on your business and then you win a bunch of prizes right mm-hmm. and i've done that because it's nice to give away stuff but i really want to hear what you've implemented and i want to reward you for that because we can listen till we're blue in the face but if you don't implement then it's kind of just been entertainment for, uh, for a small business that that should be sort of picking up their marketing game what do you think the the sort of easy win for a business a small business. So what are small businesses doing and what yeah. is the easy win that they should oh, be doing? Uh, there's, there's money in the list. There's money in your existing client base. You know, you've got – if you've got clients, they may well want more of you. Mm. You know, um, I was speaking to a yoga instructor last weekend and she'd come up to stay with a friend of mine. Uh, we live in Noosa and she'd come up to stay with a friend and she said – and she, she she does yoga classes, she does the odd retreat, and that's her business. You know, it's a bit of a grind. Um, she had one lady who she coaches who actually heard that this this lady, this yoga instructor was coming up from the Gold Coast to Noosa for the whole week and wouldn't be able to do the one-on-one that she would normally do mm-hmm. with her. So she, this lady was driving up to Noosa to have this one-on-one, right? So this is a client driving two hours or three hours to have a one-on-one. So I was like, I said to this yoga instructor, Imagine how many other clients there are in your current base that mm. would probably want to do that for which you can charge a premium because you're offering this one-on-one service. So there's a group of clients in every business that love what you do, the raving mm. fans who just can't get enough of you and will pay and want more of you and whatever you do. So identify them and even ask them. Just call them up and say, what more would you like from me? Uh, and so, you know, first of all, work to your client base. If you've got a list and every small business owner should have a, every small business should have a list of email addresses and mobile numbers, start communicating with that list because there is money in the list. Okay. It's a way of having ongoing conversation. Um, and the, the other thing that I think many business owners should do, which they don't is who is your ideal client? I get really clear and not demographically, not like, oh, they're 30 to 50 year old professional women who are tertiary educated and earn over a hundred grand a year. That doesn't tell me much about them. I want to know what keeps them up at night. What does success look like? What's their greatest fear? You know, what other brands do they love? And so when you know that type of stuff about your customer, 
you are going to be able to create marketing messages and products and services and offers that hit them between the eyes. And I don't think enough businesses sit back and go, who is it that we really, really want to sell to and what are they like? Mm. I, I remember um, the, uh, the quote, knowing isn't doing. And I, I caught myself when I just started my business, I knew all this stuff about search engine optimization. I was helping all of my mates who were getting their businesses set up and they're like, oh, Josh, it's like working. I'm getting all these clients. I thought, oh, fuck, I've got a video production business and I haven't set any of this up. And so I went yeah. through and I did all of this work. And so if you type in video production company, we're up there on, on the top. What are some of the things that you know, but you're currently not doing as a marketer? <laughs> wow. Um, the, the place I've let myself down the most is not surrounding myself with a team ongoing. I've always, it's always been me. <clears throat> and when I've needed something done, I've found a freelancer might have gone to Upwork or Fiverr or asked my mates, you know, who could do this and come in and do it for a short period of time. But I've just never, and I'm going to say, I've never had the courage to just actually employ and be responsible for others and have them contribute to the, the growth of my business. And I think it's because I was a shit employee mm. and I figured if, if that was like I was like as an employee, then anyone I employ is going to be like that and mm. I don't want any more Tim Reeds. Is it know? almost like, like <laughs> treating people like a bit of a commodity? I guess like the gig economy and shit like that. It's like I can get this thing done and then that's it mm. versus the um, that ongoing relationship. Yeah, yeah, maybe. Yeah, yeah. Look, I, I just think it was just it was just a poor decision and it continues to be a poor decision. Mm -hmm. um, you know, I've just joined the podcast One Network um, for a number of reasons, but one is that I just am now surrounded by just guns in mm -hmm. editing and production and social media and all that, and that's really exciting and I should have done that. I should have surrounded myself years ago, but yeah, I, mean, I've, I've, I can't complain. Life's yeah. been good. Have you had the reach out from people that want to be involved with what you're doing? Yep. yep. Yeah, I get people saying, you know, is what can I do? You know, can I look after this or that? And, you know, sometimes I've said yes, uh, and then other times I just keep moving. Mm. But, you know, I've got my business to a point where, although now COVID's kind of completely stuffed it because there's no conferences. No and speaking. I speak at like, you know, between 40 and 60 conferences a year as either a keynote or an MC. So that's gone. Uh, and podcasting continues, which is good, and there's revenue there. And I'm actually being forced mm. to pivot. I'm working on a new business idea with my girlfriend, Sarah, that you know I'm excited about. So this kind of freed me up to just think a bit more innovatively. When, when something like COVID happens where you lose 60% of your revenue overnight, um, does it put a firecracker up your ass or, you know, pressure? What does it do? Me, me personally, it hasn't. Um, kind of enjoyed it. Uh, in a weird kind of way. I don't know if I would say that if I got the virus or, mm. you know, been more affected, but... Because you know everyone's fucked. Is that part of it? <laughs> it's nice to know that you, you, we're all in this together. Yeah. There's, com there's comforting nice numbers. Saying it. <laughs> what, what about... Uh, George and I were speaking this morning just about... It was a slow pace. There was not many cars on the road. It was Beautiful. the pressure mm -hmm. from building something. And I feel like we're kind of getting back to that now where we're, mm -hmm. we're on the hill back up and, you know, it's only going back down where it was like it paused everything. There was no hill to go up mm. or we weren't really kind of going back. It was idle. It's like when you're in school and you hear that no one else has done their homework. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> you yeah, feel yeah. you fucking walk in like we're on the same. <laughs> okay, we're in this. Yeah. Just stick with me. Listen to what I say. And so what did you do? So what was your reaction then when all these things happened? What did you learn about yourself? I, I'm really interested in slowing down. And I, you know, that's a function of my age, which I keep referring to. So clearly I have an issue around it. Um, Surely Noosa does it as well. 
Yeah, there is. I mean, that part of moving to Noosa was, again, like just I heard people go down. actually back down in age when they moved to Noosa. <laughs> <laughs> They're running on the beach, surfing every day. Yeah, yeah. It's called liposuction. <laughs> um, and I kind of just, so I've always liked that idea of slowing down and exploring that and seeing what that means and being kind of a bit of a role model in that because I do represent small businesses in a sense and I do see them running around manic and I think, you know, there's more to life. I'm not going to be mm. on my deathbed wishing I'd worked longer hours, you know. I'm going to be definitely wishing I'd worked shorter hours and I just think it's a really important thing to practice. So I've quite enjoyed that and I will continue to enjoy that and it'll be interesting to see whether the rest of the world, you know, where there's this kind of, there's two camps, you know, are we going to go back to our bad old ways or are we actually going to learn from this and do things differently? Are, are more of us going to work from home? Are more employers going to be cool and mm. trust and let people work from home. Are we going to drive less? Are we going to want less? Are we going to be really interesting? And I'm going to, I personally am going to make a decision to not go back to old ways and try and be a bit kind of more chill. Mm. It seems like a, a hard one because on one hand, it's like you talked about businesses, you know, going from day to day from a cash flow perspective and only just surviving. And so the idea of potentially then making a decision based on lifestyle law working less it feels like there's a there's a contradiction yeah. in those two ideas how do we how can we possibly i guess it's it's playing into that 4 hour work week passive income like everyone wants that right we all want to be able to be like yeah i go to sleep i've got a shopify and you see the fucking numbers <laughs> yeah, go yeah, up yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, what's the reality do you think that there's i think it, the reality is where you are in your life you know again you know there are people probably like you Josh mm -hmm. who are you know building something and you've been forced to take your foot off the pedal. Mm -hmm. uh, whereas really, you're going, you going, mate, I just want to go 100 miles an hour. I'm onto something here. I'm yeah. building mm -hmm. it. I, you know, I had these dreams. And by the end of this year, I was going to have this. And then this is, whereas I don't feel like that. Uh, it's not because I have bucket loads of dough. It's just because I feel like I've just, I've run, I've done what mm -hmm. I just suggested you're probably wanting to do. And, you know, it's just a really nice thing to be able to just sit back and realize one of the, you know, we don't need mm -hmm. half the stuff we've got, right? Yeah. We just mm -hmm. don't. And I feel like also this brings up the thought that I've had for a while, which is like, if I'm starting a business today, I'd prefer to listen to someone who's just made their first quarter of a million dollars than I would Richard Branson, because mm -hmm. there is the disconnect of, yeah. and I think that that's where we can fall into the trap of like, we listen to these people who made money years and years ago. And it's yeah. like, they haven't had to fucking worry. Like it's a very different reality. Different world. But you don't want an island. Uh, islands, I feel like with all the the uh, the world, um, the global it's big global warming. Yeah, like surely that's gonna. So you don't want? Okay. Oh, it's I don't want Tommy and I. <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, you can have the island, but well, then you've got to. There's a lot that comes with an island, I reckon. Yeah, you'd know clearly. What? Well, you can have Rates? to. Yeah, well, like, well, yeah. Think about like utilities, how you're getting internet. Who what's do all you the, pay? It would be. Are you paying a country that the island resides in? Know. What? Like paying you, what rates? So you're, yeah, it'd be just like the islands and you know. It's if you have conversation. to worry about rates, you can't afford it. No, 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 no. But so <laughs> rates are expensive in a house for I families. Know. Let alone imagine the island. Do you have to pay rego on a car if you're driving it around? Of course. I mean, they're just <laughs> part of like all the islands in the Wood Sundays are part of Queensland. Queensland, sure. yeah. And they're actually relatively cheap compared to what you what oh, you think an island right. is. <laughs> but, the, but, but the problem is your running costs are sure. you know, outrageous. Yeah, yeah. So you know they, you know you can't just go and buy one. And yeah. we were going to give you one, but you said you didn't want <laughs> yeah, it. So yeah, absolutely not. No. Um, in intuitive marketing, uh, the story on um, that Seth Godin told 
on your podcast yes. about the plumber that came over and oh, went down yeah. into the basement and handed Seth a, a pad that had eight pages of contacts that he'd done work for and he said, call any of them mm-hmm. and you can confirm if the work was great. It was it was a great piece of marketing yeah. that probably wasn't – like it's. I think there's a lot of us that just like do things that are intuitively mm-hmm. and mark is, you know, there's a bunch of stuff that falls into the marketing category – for that, what do you what do you see from business business owners that you're speaking to? What's the most common intuitive marketing that people are? I, I, people I are love doing? those little one percenters. Like so, you're describing a boilermaker who went into Seth Godin's house in New York, and Seth uh, had was getting two or three quotes, and this one bloke said, "You know, this is what I do. This is how I do it. This is how much it would cost." Uh, and look. Here's eight names who happened to be in the same street or building as mm. Seth's home was. Uh, feel free to call. Seth looked at the list. He knew some of the names on it. He's like, mate, I don't need to call him. He got the job, right? Mm. So to me, what that boilermaker did was pretty simple. You call it intuitive. Like it's common sense, right? That's mm. like what if you, it, 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 the questions we ask determine the answers we get. So the question that guy asked is, what would my prospects really like from me in order to make it easy for them to buy from me? Right? So he's gone testimonials and actual phone numbers from people that this guy's going to know. Pretty obvious. I interviewed um, a lawnmower guy, a lawn care guy from Tennessee the other week, Brian Clayton, and he built the biggest lawn care business in Tennessee, $10 million turnover. And I said, how'd you do it? And he said, you know, the little one percenters, those little things. And one thing he did, two lessons here, you don't know who knows who, and just go the extra mile. He was mowing. He, he was mowing a guy's lawn who happened to be a McDonald's franchisee. So one day he says, "And you do that, you know, it's twenty bucks. Mow the lawn. See you later." One day he got talking to his client and said, "Oh, you're a McDonald's franchisee. Can I do your lawns at your McDonald's store?" By chance, the guy said, "Yeah, you can." And so then lawnmower man Brian does the lawns at his at the local McDonald's, but also picks up all the cigarette butts in the drive-through. Simple, doesn't cost him much. Mm-hmm. Low perceived cost to Brian, high perceived, high value to to the McDonald's store owner. So then the McDonald's store owner goes, you're awesome. Um, I've got some mates who are franchisees as well. Do you want me to hook you up with them? And all of a sudden, from picking up the cigarette butts in the drive-thru, this guy's now building a big business doing all the McDonald's stores around Tennessee. So I just think the one percenters, mm-hmm. I'll give you one more example, which is, I love this example, and it's an example, it's an electrician, it's the owner of an electrician's franchise out of New South Wales, and he just recognised that tradies are hopeless in terms of turning up on time, about being on site and doing things in a polite, clean, noise-free way and all that stuff. So Josh from Platinum Electricians, who was my guest on the show, had created a 21-step customer mantra. And every single time one of his electricians went on site to a business or a home, they must follow these 21 steps. Now, he didn't reveal all the 21 steps. He revealed about 11 of them. But they were simple things like arrive five minutes early, not 15 minutes late. Mm. Um, Don't park in the driveway or walk across the grass. Use any paths. Um, Wipe your feet and take your your shoes off and put on these booties. Um, If you see something, if you see a light globe out in the home, replace it. Don't ask. Just replace it on on the way out. Say, hey, listen, 
I replaced the globe, free of charge, no worries. So all these things individually. They're like, that was a fucking Philips Hue, that cost me. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Yeah, no. yeah. My app had it off. <laughs> yeah, exactly. yeah. Uh, but all these things individually, not groundbreaking, mm-hmm. but add them up. And mm-hmm. that is an awesome business experience that you are building. Mm-hmm. Marketing versus sales. What's, yeah. the, what's the difference? Marketing uh, draws in people, sales converts them. Do you think marketers need to be salespeople? No. I think they have need to understand. I mean, in an ideal world, I, mean, we talk, I talk to small business owners, so sometimes they have to be both, mm-hmm. right? Uh, but ideally, always marketing and sales should work together. And I uh, had a great example uh, just this morning of a guest who he has a town planning business where he gets council approval for people wanting to do dual occupancies and all that kind of stuff. And he learnt and he'd measured this. His conversion rate when he put a marketer or a technician, like a town planner or someone on a new call with a prospect, was 5%. It went up to 20% the minute he put salespeople uh, on those prospecting calls, yeah, who could actually, instead of doing the sell, would find out about the prospect, what their needs were, what their problems were, what success looked like, all that kind of stuff and then offered them a solution and the conversion rate went up. So I think sales is an incredible skill, mm-hmm. not for the faint-hearted. Mm. And, yeah, it should be focused on by salespeople, marketing by marketing, but they should talk. What and about if you're a great marketer as a small business owner but no good at sales, but you're creating sales through your marketing efforts? Can you can you be stronger in the marketing department, which solves a slight problem at the beginning before you can pull in other people to help? Uh, let me understand that quick. Can you rephrase that question? I'm so if I'm a great marketer that's creating marketing material, yes. it's getting people hyped about what oh, I'm yeah. doing and then it's converting them into the sale. So into a sale an, is, Into an inquiry. Into an inquiry or even a sale through a website. Mm-hmm. And then- But if they've also, already- If they're selling a minute, then sales too, right? Well, it is sales too, but- I might not be. I might not be good at. So if it's like sale. promote. Yeah, if you get marketing, people know about your brand, getting them mm. that, the final step. Mm. I guess it's that thing of marketing a shit product. I mean, you, you know, you'll sell it once. Yeah, you will sell it once. You know, great salespeople. There is a great distinction. You know, and I interviewed a fantastic sales guy uh, a few years ago, and he had a philosophy: ABC, always be closing. And that's what salespeople do. They're mm-hmm. always trying to figure out how to close the deal, whereas marketers are trying to figure out how to get more people in whose deals can be closed. Public relations and marketing? Where do, like- PR is just if – if marketing is a pie, PR is a wedge, mm-hmm. you know, as is advertising, as is direct marketing, as is sponsorship, as is uh, networking, as is – you know, so it's just a wedge and PR is just the ability to get noticed by the media. Mm-hmm. And because uh, you hear people talk about – I'm a growth hacker or that there's all these different, you know, words that, that we use to describe what marketing is. Yep. Um, is there any version or a role if you were to create a marketer for 2020, what does that pie look like? What should they be focusing on? How are you, should you be a specialist? Should it, you be well-rounded? It depends on what the business is, right? And it depends what the budget is. Mm-hmm. But, you know, there are some fundamental things like, like, like marketing, whether it's twenty twenty or nineteen twenty, you know the the fundamentals remain unchanged. One one is get your message right first before you worry about where to put it. So you've got message and medium, right? Too many business owners race off and get medium sorted out. I'm going to get a website. I'm going to get on Twitter. I'm going to go to every networking event that the local chamber has. Like that's such an easy decision to make. Mm-hmm. The hard decision is what am I going to say? 
when I get a website? What am I going to say when I go to a Chamber of Commerce event? And that's where you've got to put the work into your pitch, into your offer, into your call to action. What do you want people to do if you get them excited? This is hard. This is the harder part of marketing and many don't do it. So it's a fundamental part. The understanding of your avatar or your, your, your ideal customer, fundamental. You know, to the point where I interviewed Jerry, uh, Jerry Ryan, Jayco Caravans. Jerry Ryan, I think it is. He's the founder of Jayco Caravans. He has taken that avatar thing and understanding your audience to the nth degree, which is on the caravan production line at Jayco, there is a photo of the person, couple or family that have bought that caravan, that one that's being assembled. So the engineers and the mechanics and everyone constructing that van going, oh, that's that's the van we're putting together for Josh, you know, and then they put, you know. Because <laughs> yeah, he didn't want the island. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, oh. yeah. so, so um, again, I don't think it matters what, where we are in in the on the timeline, mm-hmm. fundamentally, uh, great marketing doesn't change, and how we go about it. So you were the ideas guy. Uh, people have a lot of ideas. Has your perception changed of ideas with execution, yeah. or how do, how do you see it now? Yeah, someone once said to me early on when I started the ideas guy, "There's no shortage of ideas," and that really kind of hurt. <laughs> it's like, mm-hmm. yeah, but I'm the guy. Yeah, <laughs> I'm the guy. And I've got the domain. So yeah. what do you want? <laughs> Uh, but I very quickly realised that that is the case, and it was about execution and implementation, and that's where that's where the magic happens. It's really, you know, it really is. You know, I I, I get listeners who say I've got journals full of ideas from your mm. podcast. That's awesome. I hope you're implementing them. Mm. You know, I'd rather know about one idea you implemented that four times your business than a journal full of a hundred ideas that you've done nothing with. You Have, think it's the, the the ideas are too big for people to action, or it's the fear that they there's an ex- certain excitement about just getting the idea, isn't yeah, there? yeah, like capturing it. You talked about one of mm. you said, you know, listening to my show in the early days and being excited by it. Mm-hmm. I listened to a podcast in the early days and was just completely mesmerised. And if only I'd implemented, I'd be, I'd probably be on an island by now. <laughs> um, you know, uh, so yeah, you can. There is that element of excitement. And there is so much content out there. I don't think there's too much content, but there is so much content mm. that you've kind of got to decide, okay, I'm going to listen. That, that, that is my source. And whatever they say, within reason, I will action, as opposed to just dropping the line in all over the place and hoping something will catch. Timbo, thank you for coming on the show. That was good oh, fun. The, the podcast, have you, do you feel like it's, it's with podcast one and everything, what's changing? Is there any going to be... Any differences that we're going to be able to uh, notice? You'll hear a happier Timbo because I'm yeah. not doing everything. <laughs> uh, I have a complete support. No, I have a complete support team around mm-hmm. me, which is going to free me up. One of the things I've realised, and there'll be plenty of business owners who realise this anyway because they are employing and they have surrounded themselves with teams, is that it's freeing me up just to think creatively about my guests, the research that I do for my on my guests, and just the way I can sit back on the microphone during an interview knowing that I've actually done the work and that everything else mm. is going to be done from editing to social media management to production to booking next week's guests in the studio and getting it out there. So that's pretty. That's a real freeing feeling. What's the promise of your podcast in terms of uh, frequency? How often are you dropping? Every, once a week. Once a week. Have once I missed it? Oh, Yeah. Yeah, yeah, no, but hey, you know, I've lost faith uh, in myself sometimes. Um, You just get exhausted and you Mm. go, how am I going to do this? But it doesn't take much. I mean, I get just extraordinary letters or emails from listeners who just, even today, I got one which is just like, 
I mean, I read this stuff and I go, who are they talking about? Yeah. Well, it's me <laughs> or my guests or my show. And it's like, oh, that's awesome. So, no, I mate, I, I've, it's been a roller coaster. It's been more up than down, but there are times when you just sort of question what you're doing. And, mm. you know, 11 years is a long time. And, you know, I sort of sometimes think maybe I should have followed the Faulty Towers strategy, which is create 11 episodes and make them as scarce as possible, make them as good as possible, and just, you know, have people listen to them over and over again. Other times I wish I'd gone in seasons where I've gone, you know, a particular theme and done 10 episodes around that and then come back six weeks later for another go. But I committed many years ago to a weekly um, podcast and, I, yeah, probably, but it's certainly been more on than off. Mm-hmm. I feel like it's an important time too with everyone sort of, trying to figure out what they're doing, yeah. having the ambiguity. I, when you listen to the podcast, I think you get a sense that there is a community and there's people mm. listening and hanging on for that. So it's yeah. it's almost that sort of, you know, typically you go to, a, you know, the council chamber, you know, there's all these different sort of business networking things, but being able to do it where it's geographically unrestricted and yep. you can be getting a bloke in the States talking about lawn mowing. Like I feel like that's super, it's super awesome. exciting. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I had a bloke in the States talking about cuddling. He really? sold cuddles. Really? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I mean, you guys would have had some crazy yeah, guests. Yeah, what does yeah. that cost? <laughs> yeah, what did he pay for his Flash website? <laughs> How much does a cuddle cost, by the way? Yeah, uh, yeah. I think it was, about, it was actually about $90 for yeah. an hour. Real effect. An really hour cuddle. Yeah. <laughs> for an hour. I know. What does like, COVID safe look like for yeah, a cuddle? Yeah, yeah. He's charging businesses. 150 and it includes yeah. a, a bottle uh, of tarp. <laughs> for the, um, what, the hand sanitizer. All right, boys. <laughs> you are the wind beneath my wing, fellas. Well done to you. Here am I talking about 500 episodes, but the Daily Talk Show, what, 766? Yeah. Yeah, What's our like marketing from a glance to you? Well, how do you see it? What do you, what, uh, the Daily Talk that. Show? <laughs> yeah. Thanks, Josh. <laughs> What's my, what, what does that question even mean? At what we're doing <laughs> yeah. at bringing people in visually. Like, I mean, you, you look at a brand, you can go, oh, they're putting themselves out there. Yeah, they're copies here. They're communicating themselves there. What, one yeah, of you, superficial. One version? of you is incredibly anally intentive because your brand consistency is awesome. Mm-hmm. Who is it? Which one? I don't know. It's, um, I think, I think <laughs> it's a bit of a mix. I mean, this is a team effort. Yeah, yeah. I think. Yeah. yeah. There's been in terms of branding. Josh is very adamant about yeah. a lot of one percenters. But that's mm. such an easy thing. Like if I look around, you know, you've got the, the sign on the wall there, mm-hmm. you've got the hoodie, mm-hmm. you know, you've got the sticker on the computer, mm-hmm. you know, it's all around the place and it's just consistent. I mean, the amount of businesses that I see where, you know, let's talk about a cafe, the the logo on the menu is different to the logo outside, mm. is different mm-hmm. to the logo on the counter, the font being used here is different to the one there, there's different uniforms and all that just minimizes trust. So a simple way of building trust is to have a beautifully consistent brand visually. Mm-hmm. It sounds really simplistic, but yeah. it's such a quick win. I think that's so, where, like when we started, we weren't in love with the original logo. Mm-hmm. So it was hard to, you're doing a merch run and you didn't feel good. Yeah, so right. it's like, well, you mm-hmm. need to get it. But uh, on the, the flip side of the coin, it's like people get obsessed. Like it's so weird because that makes so much sense. But at the same time, there are people who are going to spend hours and hours on a logo who are never going to be able to build a brand because they've never been able to make someone feel anything because they've spent yeah. so much time in Photoshop. And, and fi- well, that's right. And, and, you know, just to finish off, because brand is a very overused term in marketing, probably one of the most overused terms. Mm-hmm. And my favorite definition of a brand is it's an emotional attachment. So you use the word feeling, Josh, mm-hmm. and it is. I mean, it's great to have a visual logo and it's good that it's consistent mm-hmm. everywhere. 
it's just a ticket to the game. Mm-hmm. You know, what you want to be building is an emotional attachment between you and your prospect because when they are emotionally engaged with you, they are less likely to look elsewhere and they'll be happy to pay a little bit more because they just like being a part of what you're creating. Mm-hmm. And uh, again, we've got to kind of focus a bit more on that than just kind of the rational side of marketing. Yeah, you've definitely nailed the branding. I was even saying to the guys, like, you've got a vernacular. Like, I'll, I'll finish the show doing a bit of a Timbo read, how I think you would end it. Uh, plenty of nuggets to take away <laughs> from that episode. If you just implement one of them, if you do something great, if you, you know, um, that's all Jeez, I've got. It was mainly nuggets. Flapping in the wind there. <laughs> Sounded like an nuggets. episode of Steve Irwin coming to a close. <laughs> plenty of nuggets uh, under this uh, rock, fellas. But I'm not there. No, I think that's good. It's, did, you ever, did you ever read the Boring Letters? It was no. like a marketing, but it was very good in just the, um, you talk, it's that headline stuff. It's the... Yep. You're um you're not afraid to be a bit hyperbolic or a little gold. bit sort of um, dripping. Gold. Yeah, yeah, just, dri- yeah that's gold dripping. Like, that's your word. That's exactly Value right. dripping off the nugget. Oh yeah. There is marketing G O L D dripping from the ceiling over here at the small business big marketing's HQ. So let's get stuck. Right in. Oh, I love it. I love it. Timbo Reed. <laughs> Thanks, mate. It's a daily talk show. Say tomorrow, guys. See you guys. <laughs>